Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry from Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's this week's scripture reading and sermon. I'm reading today from Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. For I am about to create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Last week, we began our summer sermon series called All the Good Things, a series through which we hope to provide a much-needed reminder that God is working for good in our lives and in the world. Today's text deals with God's great promise of a restored creation, a vision of a new paradise where all of creation lives harmoniously in shalom, right relationship with each other and with God. And while I promise we'll get there eventually, I'd like to begin today by offering a much different vision and a few reminders that are not particularly uplifting, hopeful, or playful. But before that, though, let's start with a joke. (laughs) Two planets meet each other. One says to the other, hey, how's it going? The second planet says, not so great. I've got the Homo sapiens. The first replies, oh, don't worry. I had that once. It won't last long. In chapter, funny because it's true. (laughs) In chapter 24 of Isaiah, much earlier in the book than today's reading, the prophet writes, now the Lord is about to lay waste the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. The earth shall be utterly laid waste and utterly despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth dries up and withers. The earth lies polluted under its inhabitants, for they have broken the everlasting covenant. Here, the everlasting covenant refers to Noah chapter 9, verses 13 to 15, when God puts a rainbow in the clouds as a sign of God's covenant between God, humanity, and the whole of creation. God says to Noah, I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. It's important to remember that this covenant is more than just a two-way agreement. Dr. Ellen Davis, professor of Bible and practical theology at Duke Divinity School, 
describes this rather as a covenantal triangle between God, the created order, including the land, waters, and skies, and humanity. And Isaiah 24 shows us that God sees the state of the people in direct correlation with the state of the earth. Our faith calls us to be in right relationship with the world around us, and if we're not right with the earth, we're not right with God. The earth lies polluted under its inhabitants, for they have broken the everlasting covenant. Does this scene sound at all familiar? We are all aware by now that the climate is changing. NASA tells us there's unequivocal evidence that the earth is warming at an unprecedented rate, and human activity is the principal cause. We know that we're adding more carbon dioxide to the atmosphere through the burning of fossil fuels, and this is already actively changing everything about the way our planet works. As the planet warms, weather patterns are changing and many types of extreme weather events are happening more often with greater intensity, causing unprecedented impact on communities around the world. We've witnessed this here in North Carolina as Hurricanes Matthew in 2016 and Florence in 2018 both brought record flooding and widespread destruction driving people from their homes and leading to other environmental disasters, such as coal ash spills and the flooding of hog farm waste lagoons. Just a few weeks ago, we saw the haze in the air as we were warned to stay inside because of the unsafe air quality caused by Canadian wildfires that are still burning out of control in most provinces. The oceans capture 90% of the excess heat generated by CO2 emissions. So the rising concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is also driving up ocean surface temperatures. Over the past 15 years, the Earth has accumulated almost as much heat as it did in the previous 45 years. With most of the extra energy going into the oceans, the overall temperature of the world's oceans has increased rapidly, hitting a record high in April of this year. This has led experts to conclude that a strong El Nino weather event will set in over the next few months which will continue to disrupt weather patterns around the world, weakening the monsoon, threatening more wildfires, and causing even warmer global temperatures. The 10 warmest years in the 143-year record have all occurred since 2010, with the last nine years ranking as the nine warmest years on record. It's expected that 2024, next year, will probably once again be the warmest year on record, with the possibility of approaching and even temporarily going over the 1.5 degrees Celsius warming target set by the Paris Agreement in 2015. All of this warming is also causing sea level rise to rapidly accelerate. The sea level around Wilmington has risen 11 inches since 1950, and it's expected that the sea level along the North Carolina coast will rise another one to four feet over the next century, forever altering the coastline. Warming temperatures, along with the ways in which we have abused our land, are also causing the irreversible destruction of ecosystems, the decline of biodiversity, and water crises. In 2020, the World Wildlife Fund reported that the world has seen an average 68% drop in mammal, bird, fish, reptile, and amphibian populations since 1970. Much of the loss is caused by habitat destruction due to uns unsustainable agriculture and logging and climate change is expected to take the lead role in the decades to come. Resource-intensive development using unsustainable practices and industrial agriculture also continue to accelerate demand for fresh water and lead to increased water scarcity around the world. And as we continue to litter the land and waters with garbage, microplastics are infiltrating every part of the planet, having been found buried in Antarctic sea ice, in the guts of marine animals, inhabiting the deepest ocean trenches, and in soil and drinking water around the world. 
Our relationship with the world around us is literally twisting the Earth's surface and scattering its inhabitants. The United Nations Refugee Agency estimates that more than 80% of refugees and internally displaced people come from countries vulnerable to climate change and live in dangerous conflict situations exacerbated by droughts, monsoon rains, and floods. Climate change disrupts our food systems while amplifying social inequities due to the lack of trust in local governments, lack of resources, and lack of access to resources. It's disproportionately poor and underserved people, communities, and nations who suffer most. Now, I know that's a lot, and you likely knew much of it already. I could, of course, go on, but I think the point has been made. We've collectively gotten away from understanding our relationship with the Earth as being an essential part of our faith and well-being, and the consequences are clear. The book of Isaiah is a collection of writings by different authors, and there's a debate about when chapter 24 was written, but it can be interpreted as referring to the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC, when the people of Judah were forced into exile. Today's text from chapter 65 was likely written during the early post-exilic period of Persian restoration, when the exiled Judeans were returning to Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. And it draws heavily on material from the earlier chapters of Isaiah. It might be thought of as a kind of response to Isaiah 24, and it also includes imagery of God's peaceable kingdom described in Isaiah 11. It offers a much more hopeful vision of a community that is being restored with resilience a new paradise where there is joy and abundant life, where the land is cared for, where there is food and housing available for everyone, and where God is working with the community to bring about the justice, peace, and unity of shalom, shalom throughout all creation. Just after this passage, at the very, very beginning of chapter 66, God asks, what is the house that you would build for me? And what is my resting place? God looks to us made in God's own image as co-creators in this world. And as we consider the current state of our planet, we would do well to look deeply at what we are creating. Vietnamese Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh likens the Buddhist practice of samatha vipassana, or looking deeply, to the Holy Spirit. He says that looking deeply means observing something or someone with so much concentration that the distinction between observer and observed disappears. The result is insight into the true nature of the object, which leads to the awareness that every created thing is made of the entire cosmos. Nothing is actually separated, but everything inter-is with everything else in the universe. Everything in existence depends on the existence of every other thing. He calls this interbeing, which is similar to how Catholic theologian Elizabeth Johnson similarly describes the Holy Spirit as breathing life into the exuberant, diverse, interrelated universe all peoples and the whole of creation, a connective relational energy. If we can let the Spirit lead us to an awareness of the unity present within the living diversity of all creation, and if we look deeply at our present situation, we might realize the need to adapt and restore our relationship with the whole of creation if we seek to be in right relationship with God and truly love God and love all of our neighbors. In her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, Environmental scientist and professor Robin Wall Kimmerer suggests, we need acts of restoration, not only for polluted waters and degraded lands, but also for our relationship to the world. We need to restore honor to the way we live so that when we walk through the world, we don't have to avert our eyes with shame, so that we can hold our heads up high and receive the respectful acknowledgement of the rest of the Earth's beings. 
We can start by simply stopping to look deeply and appreciate the beauty of the world around us, and also by making personal commitments to more faithfully care for the earth that I'm sure many of us already have, like riding a bike when possible, recycling more, weatherizing our homes, using energy-efficient practices, planting native flowers to support pollinators, and composting our food waste. We're thankful here at Greystone to have a property manager and a properties committee who already prioritize earth-friendly practices like these. We also have a missions garden, which through its care provides food for those in need that is shared via North Raleigh Ministries. If you'd like to help in the garden, you can be in touch with Karen Brewer. We'll need help keeping it watered through the summer, and there will be more to do in the fall. If you're passionate about creation care, you can also get involved here with the Spirit of Justice team, which has done some work on environmental justice and participated in community cleanup initiatives. And on a broader community level, maybe consider getting involved with Interfaith Creation Care of the Triangle, a group that works within and across communities of faith to urgently fulfill our sacred duty to love and protect creation, addressing our changing climate and ensuring justice for all life. This is a group that includes members from communities of faith throughout the Triangle, and it regularly offers both in-person and online education and advocacy opportunities. You can see me if you're interested in participating with that group and helping Greystone get more connected with an interfaith network that's working toward climate resilience and restoration throughout the Triangle. And you might be surprised to know that the city of Raleigh developed and implemented a community climate action plan in 2021 that aims to reduce citywide greenhouse gas emissions by 80% by 2050. It's one of the first community plans to not only integrate greenhouse gas emission reductions, but to also include the components of addressing equity across the community and building community resilience to the impact of climate change. You can read about how the plan is taking shape in this year's implementation report and learn about ways to get involved on the city's website. You can also learn about and volunteer with the city's urban forestry program, which works with citizens, volunteers, neighborhoods, and developers to plant trees all over Raleigh. Developing and maintaining a healthy urban forest has many restorative effects for the environment and for our health. We should find hope in knowing that we're already part of both a faith community and a broader community that are working diligently to take measures toward restoring our relationship with the earth. And as followers of Jesus, it's important to remember that caring for creation is incarnational work through which we can bring Christ's love to all by creating conditions that allow all life to flourish, bringing about new life and the possibility of God's shalom. To practice restoration is to practice resurrection. Restoration requires us to adapt to a paradigm shift where instead of continuing to seek out what we can take from the earth, we instead consider what we can give back and how we might help the earth recover from the damage and destruction we've caused. Restoration is a relational act of hospitality that can build resilience in communities and ecosystems and gives us hope for renewal. And it requires courageous hope in things not yet seen, courageous patience and perseverance in working towards things we might not see in our own lifetimes, and courageous imagination in believing that something beautiful can come out on the other side of ruin. We can continue to deepen our relationship with the earth and with all of creation as an act of faithfulness. We are co-creators in God's world, and in working toward a restored creation, new heavens and a new earth, we can be the hope in actively working toward building God's peaceable kingdom here and now. Amen.